With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With reports direct from Melbourne courtside and from our offices in New York City, it's the Australian Open edition of the Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey guys, day four of the Australian Open is uh, just about complete here. I'm here with Steve Tigner, who's down in Melbourne covering it all for Tennis.com. I'm going to go back through the day's action. Um, today, Steve, very uh, kind of a lull, in my opinion, from what we saw the first uh, three days of the tournament. E- each of the first three days had either some defining match or uh, sort of just a little more of a, a narrative to it. But today, really, the top seeds pretty much across the board took care of their matches um, and just kind of a, a little little time to catch your breath a little bit. Um, yeah, it was a pretty quiet day. The whole the whole tournament in in Rod Laver Arena, the main arena, has been really quiet. Really, I would not recommend getting a, a day session ticket there during the first week at all. It's even we know at the U.S. Open um, inside Ash Stadium during the days is pretty. You know, the top seeds basically play and win easily, and that's been really been the case um, in Laver so far today. We had Nadal beat Ryan Sweeting, um, then. Alicia Mollick was in there uh, because she's Australian. She she lost, and Kim Kleister's also won easily. She's won. She's already won six zero six zero in there. Um, so really, like really, the seeds and 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 the top players on both sides have been have been handling it maybe more easily than than we're used to. Yeah, I mean it's um, it's one of those things I tell anybody who hasn't gone to a major. Of course, though, it's when you. When you go for these opening couple of days, I mean, you should avoid those big stadiums like the plague. Basically, there's obviously so much good. The best stuff is, of course, out in the uh, out in the side courts and everything. Just to actually, I was wondering, um, compared to the U.S. Open, since I think a lot of listeners probably have attended that more than the other majors, um, how are like the the side courts there in terms of are, are they kind of um, separate a little bit from the show courts because there's actually a, I feel like there's a fair number of stadium slash show courts there in yeah, it, they have, in, um, the, it, in Melbourne and then you got this other tier I guess that we don't really see too much on the TV yeah they have a they have a t- like a tier of courts that the US Open doesn't really have the US Open has the has the really big stadiums and then mostly smaller um the Australian has has those as well has the big stadium and the smaller and they have these these sort of mid-range somewhat show court 2 show court 3 and Margaret Court Arena are the three sort of mid-range um, mini arenas that are in my opinion a little faceless they're not they're all they're all exactly the same. Yeah, they um, do see. I can never really tell on TV if just you know just a distinct one over the other. That's true. Yeah, they're fine, uh, and there there's no bad seats in those, but there's nothing. There's not a tremendous atmosphere in in any of them. Um, High Sense Arena is the other one, the newest one. That 
has it's, it's also not I would that's not a lot of personality in that arena for a different reason. It's a big steel um, retractable roof stadium. Um, it doubles as a velodrome, but that's that's where they play. That's the second biggest stadium. And it's it's interesting and modern and it's different, but um, but not but you're far away from the court there. So so I don't know. Uh, the Flavor Arena is is. I'm just going to ask. Flavor, yeah. Go it's on. getting a little old. Uh, I guess it was it was built in '88, and it shows its it it shows its age. The whole place, in my opinion, shows its age a little bit. The Melbourne Park. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I, I know the. Um, I was just thinking about that because I know that's. I think this middle tier courts. I think that's what eventually the U.S. Open is going to start to look like when they do these revisions to grandstand and armstrong but uh, that's for another day but yeah, the, um the french well just for one last thing the french open yeah, also has some of those middle tier courts but they they're done each one is a little different at the french open the the design is not exactly the same the way it is here maybe the maybe the u.s open can can take a page from the french open and give them a, all a little a little bit of personality right on the on those side courts I, or um there, there was some, uh, like I said, Laver wasn't the spot to be today, but there was a couple good matches um, on the on the other courts, and the one you covered um, most closely was Tomich and Feliciano Lopez, and uh, Tomich is the uh, main Australian man left, only one left after Hewitt left back in day one, um, and he beats Lopez 7-6-7-6-6-3. Why don't you talk a little bit about Tomich and what he did here uh, since um, he's still only 18 even though we've heard about him I feel for the last like five yeah, or six years we've been, we've been waiting for him for a long time um, we know about he I think he was he was one of the top top juniors in the world when he was 15 um, and yeah he's still only 18 it feels like he's he's 25 uh, but he has you know he has a lot of talent he's a he's he's a field player a touch player he's like an Andy Murray even more, even you know, with less power and more, you know, more of like a of a field game than Andy Murray, but he plays a little like that, a little like Miloslav Machir, if people remember him. Um, Tomich is he doesn't try to hit hard. He can, but he says he doesn't. That's just not his game. He describes his game as, as hitting a lot of funky shots. He hits a lot of he hits a lot of slice. He has a two-handed backhand and a one-hander. He he. Um, he doesn't power through his forehand and hits it pretty flat. And he, sometimes he hits a slice forehand. His serve is very strange. It's like a, almost like a the way you would teach a beginner to hit a serve. He takes both both arms up at once, but he has great timing, so he makes that work. And he um, he's always just hitting the shot that you don't quite expect. So uh, you know, there's been a big question of whether that style can work at the pro level. Um, Tomich is stuck with his game because it's always worked. A lot of people around in Australia, tennis Australia, the Tennis Australia's version of the USTA don't don't like it. They and, and you know think that that game will is more of a junior game. Um, but today he beat a you know he beat a solid pro Feliciano Lopez. In a way, Lopez is the perfect guy for for Tomich to play. This, he does that, yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Is I feel I felt like Lopez with the way he he plays a ton of slice and gives. I think some opportunity for for Tomich to really show off what he what he can do. So I was just going to ask yeah, you about that good, if, um, if he was a good foil for him, basically. He was, yeah, he was. He was a good opponent because he just Lopez misses. He does not super consistent. Um, he has a weak, fairly weak backhand that he slices. I mean, it can work, but it's not a powerful shot. Um, 
so so yeah in a way he he played into into Tomich's hands Tomich got behind in the second set and it looked like he was going to give in but then Lopez started to miss some shots and in the second set tiebreaker very key moment it was close in that tiebreaker and then Lopez missed four or five balls in the net so you know Tomich got Tomich was a good win but um but you know Lopez didn't he kind of helped him out a little bit and obviously it's going to be a totally different story against Nadal Tomich knows that already. He was sort of laughing about the idea of, of playing the doll on Saturday night in Labor Arena, and he's he's looking forward to it. But it's going to be a pretty awesome, awesome experience for him. Yeah, that'll that'll be a really good atmosphere down there. Uh, last thing before I let you go, just a quick note about tomorrow's matches. The schedule obviously came out a little while ago, and the one match that really, um, I, I guess, is the is the big the biggest match of the day, I suppose, would be this. Justine Ennen and Kuznetsov a match. I think I think both players have that air of you you might not know what to expect. I think we've always thought that with Kuznetsov, but Ennen she's still only back for the first time in a in a tour event since since about six months ago. Um, Ennen did have a, a first round uh, against Mirza where she did lose the opening set, but then but then finished it off and looked good in her next match. Um, just wondering what you thought about about those two and um, in that match in particular. That's the second one on Laver, and knowing yeah, it's, I guess I guess knowing Laver, it's going to be like one and one to somebody. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't bother yeah. going to watch that. Yeah. Um, Hennen, you know, these two have played in a couple Grand Slam finals. Hennen's beaten her pretty badly. I, st- I still remember their U.S. Open final from '07 because Nestor didn't show up at all. Uh, they also played in the French Open final that was a little closer. So you know, it's interesting to see these these two playing in a third round. You obviously have to pick Henin. She's the better historic player. Kuznetsov is, is seems to be in better shape right now. She took a lot of time off at the end of the year, and she seems she seems fitter. And so far in in 2011, uh, so maybe she she could give Justine some trouble. I think Justine coming out of a close match in the first round does help her. I think that that kind of thing tends to get players to relax a little bit once they're through that. If that happens to people in the first round, um, who knows? But that should be a that'll definitely be a great athletic contest. Yep. All right. Yeah, we'll catch up after that one's over tomorrow and all the others. So uh, thanks again for tuning in, and listening. For Steve Tigner, I'm Ed McGrogan. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. <laughs>